chapter twenty seven of ardath by marie corelli this librivox recording is in the public domain in the temple of nagaya the hours wore on with stealthy rapidity but the two friends reclining together under a deep-branched canopy of cypress boughs paid little or no heed to the flight of time the heat in the garden was intense the grass was dry and brittle as though it had been scorched by passing flames and a singularly profound stillness reigned everywhere there being no wind to stir the faintest rustle among the foliage lying lazily upon his back with his arms clasped above his head theos looked dreamily up at the patches of blue sky seen between the dark green gnarled stems and listened to the measured cadence of the laureate's mellow voice as he recited with much tenderness the promised poem of course it was perfectly familiar the lines were precisely the same as those which he theos remembered to have written out thinking them his own in an old manuscript book he had left at home at home where was that it must be a very long way off he half closed his eyes a sense of delightful drowsiness was upon him the rise and fall of his friend's rhythmic utterance soothed him into a languid peace the idol of roses was very sweet and musical and though he knew it of old he heard it now with special satisfaction inasmuch as it being no longer his he was at liberty to bestow upon it that full measure of admiration which he felt it deserved yet every now and then his thoughts wandered and though he anxiously strove to concentrate his attention on the lovely stanzas that murmured past his ears like the gentle sound of waves rolling beneath the mesmerism of the moon his brain was in a continual state of ferment and busied itself with all manner of vague suggestions to which he could give no name a great weariness weighed down his spirit a dim consciousness of the futility of all ambition and all endeavour he was haunted too by the sharp hiss of lycia's voice when she had said kill saluma her look her attitude her murderous smile troubled his memory and made him ill at ease the thing she had thus demanded at his hands seemed more monstrous than if she had bidden him kill himself for there had been one moment when mastered by her beauty and the force of his own passion he would have killed himself had she requested it but to kill his adored his beloved friend ah no not for a thousand sorceress queens as fair as she he drew a long breath an irresistible desire for rest came over him the air was heavy and warm and fragrant his companion's dulcet accents served as a lullaby to his tired mind it seemed a long time since he had enjoyed a pleasant slumber for the previous night he had not slept at all lower and lower drooped his aching lids he was almost beginning to slip away slowly into a blissful unconsciousness when all at once saluma ceased reciting and a harsh brazen clang of bells echoed through the silence storming to and fro with a violent hurried uproar suggestive of some sudden alarm he sprang to his feet rubbing his eyes saluma rose also a slightly petulant expression on his face canst thou do no better than sleep he queried complainingly when thou art privileged to listen to an immortal poem impulsively theos caught his hand and pressed it fervently nay dost thou deem me so indifferent my noble friend he cried thou art mistaken for though perchance mine eyes were closed my ears were open i heard thy every word i loved thy every line what dost thou need of praise thou who canst do naught but work which being perfect is beyond all criticism saluma smiled well satisfied and the little lines of threatening ill-humour vanished from his countenance enough he said i know that thou dost truly honour me above all poets and that thou wouldst not willingly offend hearest thou now how great a clamour 
the ringers of the temple make to-night tis but the sunset chime yet one would think they were pealing forth an angry summons to battle already sunset exclaimed theo's surprise why it seems scarce a minute since that we came hither ay such is the magic charm of poesy rejoined saluma complacently it makes the hours flit like moments and long days seemed but short hours nevertheless tis time we were within doors and at supper for if we start not soon for the temple twill be difficult to gain an entrance and i at any rate must be early in my place beside the king he heaved a short impatient sigh and as he spoke all theos's old misgivings came rushing back upon him and in full force filling him with vague sorrow uneasiness fear but he knew how useless it was to try and impart any of his inward forebodings to saluma saluma who had so lightly explained lycia's treacherous conduct to his own entire satisfaction saluma on whom neither the prophecies of coast rule nor the various disastrous events of the day had taken any permanent effect while no attempt could now be made to deter him from attending the sacrificial service in the temple seeing he had been so positively commanded thither by lycia through the medium of the priest zell feeling bitterly his own incompetency to exercise any protective influence on the fate of his companion theo said nothing but silently followed him as he thrust aside the drooping cypress boughs and made his way out to more open ground his lithe graceful figure looking even more brilliant and phantom-like than ever contrasted with the deep green gloom spread about him by the hoary moss-covered trees that were as twisted and grotesque in shape as a group of fetish idols as he bent back the last branchy barrier however and stepped into the full light he stopped short and uttering a loud exclamation lifted his hand and pointed westward his dark eyes dilating with amazement and awe the yos at once came swiftly up beside him and looked where he looked what a scene of terrific splendour he beheld right across the horizon that glistened with a pale green hue like newly frozen water a cloud black as the blackest midnight lay heavy and motionless in form resembling an enormous leaf fringed at the edges with tremulous lines of gold this nebulous mass was absolutely stirless it appeared as though it had been thrown a ponderous weight into the vault of heaven and having fallen there purposed to remain ever and anon beaming threads of lightning played through it luridly veining it with long arrowy flashes of orange and silver while poised immediately above it was the sun looking like a dull scarlet seal a ball of dim fire destitute of rays on all sides the sky was crossed by wavy flecks of pearl and sudden glimpses as of burning topaz and down toward the earth drooped a thin azure fog filmy curtain through which the landscape took the strangest tints and unearthly flushes of colour a moment and the spectral sun dropped suddenly into the lower darkness leaving behind it a glare of gold and green lowering purple shadows crept over across the heavens darkening them as smoke darkens flame but the huge cloud palpitating with lightning moved not at all nor changed its shape by so much as a hair's breadth it appeared like a vast pall spread out in readiness for the solemn state burial of the world fascinated by the aspect of the weird sky phenomenon theos was at the same time curiously impressed by a sense of its unreality indeed he found himself considering it with the calm attentiveness of one who is brought face to face with a remarkable picture effectively painted this peculiar sensation however was like many others of his experience very transitory it passed and he watched the lightnings come and go with a certain hesitating fear mingled with wonder saluma was the first to speak storm at last he said forcing a smile though his face was unusually pale it has threatened us all day twill break before the night is over 
how sullenly yonder heavens frown they have quenched the sun in their sable darkness as though it were a beaten foe this will seem an ill sign to those who worship him as a god for truly he doth appear to have withdrawn himself in haste and anger by my soul tis a dull and ominous eve and a slight shudder ran through his delicate frame as he turned toward the white-coloured loggia garlanded with its climbing vines roses and passion-flowers through which there now floated a dim golden suffused radiance reflected from lamps lit within i would the night were past and that the new day had come with these words he entered the house the host accompanying him and together they went at once to the banqueting hall there they supped royally served by silent and attentive slaves they themselves feeling mutually depressed yet apparently not wishing to communicate their depression one to the other conversed but little after the repast was finished they set forth on foot to the temple saluma informing his companion as they went that it was against the law to use any chariot or other sort of conveyance to go to the place of worship the king himself being obliged to dispense with his sumptuous car on such occasions and to walk thither as unostentatiously as any one of his poorest subjects an excellent rule observed theos reflectively for the pomp and glitter of an earthly potentate's display assorts ill with the homage he intends to offer to the immortals and kings are no more than commoners in the sight of an all-supreme divinity true if there were an all-supreme divinity rejoined saluma dryly but in the present state of well-founded doubt regarding the existence of any such omnipotent personage thinkest thou there is a monarch living who is sincerely willing to admit the possibility of any power superior to himself not zephyronim believe me his enforced humility on all occasions of public religious observance serves him merely as a new channel wherein to proclaim his pride certus in obedience to the priests or rather let us say in obedience to the high priestess he paces the common footpath in company with the common folk uncrowned and simply clad but what avails this affectation of meekness all know him for the king all make servile way for him all flatter him and his progress to the temple resembles as much a triumphal procession as though he were mounted in his chariot and returning from some wondrous victory besides humility in my opinion is more a weakness than a virtue and even granting it were a virtue it is not possible to kings not as long as people continue to fawn on royalty like grovelling curs and lick the sceptred hand that often loathes their abject touch he spoke with a certain bitterness and impatience as though he were suffering from some inward nervous irritation and theos observing this prudently made no attempt to continue the conversation they were just then passing down a narrow rather dark street lined on both sides by lofty buildings of quaint and elaborate architecture long gloomy shadows had gathered in this particular spot where for a short space the silence was so intense that one could almost hear one's own heart beat suddenly a yellowish-green ray of light flashed across the pavement and lo the upper rim of the moon peered above the housetops looking strangely large and rosily brilliant the air seemed all at once to grow suffocating and sulphurous and between whiles there came the faint plashing sound of water lapping against stone with a monotonous murmur as of continuous soft whispers the vast silence the vast night were full of a solemn weirdness the moon curiously magnified to twice her ordinary size soared higher and higher firing the lofty solitudes of heaven with long shooting radiations of rose and green while still in the purple hollow of the horizon lay that immense immovable cloud nerved as it were with living lightning which leaped incessantly from its centre like a thousand swords drawn and redrawn from as many scabbards 
presently the deep booming noise of a great bell smote heavily on the stillness a sound that theos oppressed by the weight of unutterable forebodings welcomed with a vague sense of relief while saluma hearing it quickened his pace they soon reached the end of the street which terminated in a spacious quadrangular court guarded on all sides by gigantic black statues and quickly crossing this place which was entirely deserted they came out at once into a dazzling blaze of light the temple of nagaya in all its stately magnificence towered before them a stupendous pile of marvellously delicate architecture so fine as to seem like lace-work rather than stone it was lit up from base to summit with glittering lamps of all colours the twelve revolving stars on its twelve tall turrets cast forth wide beams of penetrating radiance into the deepening darkness of the night aloft in its topmost crown of pinnacles swung the prayer commanding bell while the enormous crowd swarming thick about it gave it the appearance of a brilliant pharos set in the midst of a surging sea the steps leading up to it were strewn ankle-deep with flowers the door stood open and a thunderous hum of solemn music vibrated in wave-like pulsations through the heavy heated air half blinded by the extreme effulgence and confused by the jostling to and fro of a multitude immeasurably greater than any he had ever seen or imagined theos instinctively stretched out his hand in the helpless fashion of one not knowing whither next to turn saluma immediately caught it in his own and hurried him along without saying a word how they managed to glide through the close ranks of pushing pressing people and effect an entrance he never knew but when he recovered from his momentary dazed bewilderment he found himself inside the temple standing near a pillar of finely fluted white marble that shot up like the stem of a palm-tree and lost its final point in the dim yet sparkling splendour of the immense dome above lights twinkled everywhere there was the odour of faint perfumes mingled with the fresher fragrance of flowers there were distant glimpses of jewel shrines and the leering faces of grotesque idols clothed in draperies of amber purple and green and between the multitudinous columns that ringed the superb fane with snowy circles one within the other hung glittering lamps set with rare gems and swinging by long chains of gold but the crowning splendour of the whole was concentrated on the place of the secret inner shrine there an arch of pale blue fire spanned the dome from left to right there from huge bronze vessels mounted on tall tripods the smoke of burning incense arose in thick and odorous clouds there children clad in white and wearing garlands of vivid scarlet blossoms stood about in little groups as still as exquisitely modelled statuettes their small hands folded and their eyes downcast there the steps were strewn with branches of palm flowering oleander rose laurel and olive sprays but the sanctuary itself was not visible before that holy of holies hung the dazzling folds of the silver veil a curtain of the most wonderfully woven silver tissue that seen in the flashing azure light of the luminous arch above it resembled nothing so much as a suddenly frozen sheet of foam across it was emblazoned in large characters i am the past the present the future the might have been and the shall not be that the ever and the never no mortal knoweth my name as theos with some difficulty owing to the intense brilliancy of the veil managed to decipher these words he heard a solitary trumpet sounded a clear-blown note that echoed itself many times among the lofty arches before it finally floated into silence recognizing this as an evident signal for some new and important phase in the proceedings he turned his eyes away from the place of the shrine and looking round the building was surprised to see how completely the vast area was filled with crowds upon crowds of silent and expectant people 
it seemed as though not the smallest wedge could have been inserted between the shoulders of one man and another yet where he stood with saluma there was plenty of room the reason of this however was soon apparent they were in the place reserved for the king and the immediate officers of the royal household and scarcely had the sweet vibration of that clear trumpet blast died away when zephyronim himself appeared walking slowly and majestically in the midst of a select company of his nobles and courtiers he wore the simple white garb of an ordinary citizen of alcaris together with a silver belt and plain sheathed dagger not a jewel relieved the classic severity of his costume and not even the merest billet of gold in his rough dark hair denoted his royal rank but the pride of precedence spoke in his flashing eyes the arrogance of authority in the self-conscious poise of his figure and haughtiness of his step his brows were knitted in something of a frown and his face looked pale and slightly careworn he spied out saluma at once and smiled kindly there was not a trace of coldness in his manner toward his favourite minstrel and theos noted this with a curious sense of sudden consolation and encouragement why should i have feared zephyronim he thought saluma has no greater friend except myself the king would be the last person in the world to do him any injury just then a magnificent burst of triumphal music rolled through the temple the music of some mighty instrument organ-like in sound but several tones deeper than the grandest organ ever made mingled with children's voices singing the king seated himself on a cushioned chair directly in front of the silver veil saluma took a place at his right hand giving theos a low bench close beside him while the various distinguished personages who had attended zephyronim disposed themselves indifferently wherever they could find standing-room only keeping as near to their monarch as they were able to do in the extreme pressure of so vast a congregation for now every available inch of space was occupied as far as i could see there were rows upon rows of men and white-veiled women theos imagined there must have been more than five thousand people present on went the huge pulsations of melody surging through the incense-laden air like waves thudding incessantly on a rocky shore and presently out of a side archway near the sanctuary steps came with slow and gliding noiselessness a band of priests walking two by two and carrying branches of palm these were all clad in purple and crowned with ivy wreaths they marched sedately keeping their eyes lowered while their lips moved constantly as though they muttered inaudible incantations waving their palm-boughs to and fro they paced along past the king and down the centre aisle of the temple then turning they came back again to the lowest step of the shrine and there they all prostrated themselves while the children who stood near the incense burners flung fresh perfumes on the glowing embers and chanted the following recitative o nagaya great everlasting and terrible thou who dost wind thy coils of wisdom into the heart thou whose eyes waking and sleeping do behold all things thou who art the joy of the sun and the master of virgins hear us we beseech thee when we call upon thy name their young treble voices were clear and piercing and pealed up to the dome to fall again like the drops of distinct round melody from a lark singing throat and when they ceased there came a short impressive pause the silver veil quivered from end to end as though swayed by a faint wind and the flaming arch above turned from pale blue to a strange shimmering green then in mellow unison the kneeling priests intoned o thou who givest words of power to the dumb mouth of the soul in hades hear us nagaya o thou who openest the grave and givest peace to the heart plead for us nagaya o thou who art a companion of the sun and controller of the east and of the west comfort us nagaya here they ended and the children began again not to chant but to sing a strange and trustful tune wilder than any that vagrant winds could play on the strings of an aeolian lyre 
o virgin of virgins holy maid to what shall we resemble thee chaste daughter of the sun how shall we praise thy peerless beauty thou art the gate of the house of stars thou art the first of the seven jewels of nagaya thou dost wield the sceptre of ebony and the eye of raphon beholds thee with love and contentment thou art the chiefest of women thou hast the secrets of earth and heaven thou knowest the dark mysteries hail lycia queen of the hall of judgment hail pure pearl in the sea of the sun's glory declare unto us we beseech thee the will of nagaya they closed this canticle softly and slowly then flinging themselves prone they pressed their faces to the earth and again the glittering veil waved to and fro suggestively while theos his heart beating fast watched its shining wolf with straining eyes and a sense of suffocation in his throat what ignorant fools what mad barbarians what blind blasphemers were these people he indignantly thought who could thus patiently hear the praise of an evil woman like lycia publicly proclaimed with almost divine honours did they actually intend to worship her he wondered if so he at any rate would never bend the knee to one so vile he might have done so once perhaps but now at that instant a flute-like murmur of melody crept upward as it seemed from the ground with a plaintive whispering sweetness like the lament of some exiled fairy so exquisitely tender and pathetic and yet withal so heart-stirring and passionate that despite himself he listened with a strange swooning sense of languor stealing insidiously over him a dreamy lassitude that while it made him feel enervated and deprived of strength was still not altogether unpleasing a faint sigh escaped his lips and he kept his gaze fixed on the silver veil as pertinaciously as though behind it lay the mystery of his soul's ruin or salvation how the light flashed on its shimmering folds like the rippling phosphorescence on southern seas as green and clear and brilliant as rays reflected from thousands and thousands of glistening emeralds and that haunting sorrowful weird music how it seemed to eat into his heart and there awaken a bitter remorse combined with an equally bitter despair once more the veil moved and this time it appeared to inflate itself in the fashion of a sail caught by a sudden breeze then it began to part in the middle very slowly and without sound further and further back on each side it gradually receded and like a lily disclosed between folding leaves a figure white wonderful and angelically fair shone out the centre jewel of the stately shrine a shrine whose immense carven pillars grotesque idols bronze and gold ornaments jewelled lamps and dazzling embroideries only served as a sort of neutral tinted background to intensify with a more lustrous charm the statuesque loveliness revealed o Lycia, unvirgined priestess of the sun and nagaya how gloriously art thou arrayed in sin o singular sweetness whose end must needs be destruction was ever woman fairer than thou o love love lost in the dead long ago and drowned in the uttermost darkness of things evil wilt thou drag my soul with thee again into everlasting night thus theus inwardly raved without any real comprehension of his own thoughts but only stricken anew by a feverish passion of mingled love and hatred as he stared on the witching sorceress whose marvellous beauty was such wonder and torture to his eyes what mattered it to him that king laureate and people had all prostrated themselves before her in reverent humility he knew her nature he had fathomed her inborn wickedness and though his senses were attracted by her his spirit loathingly repelled her he therefore remained seated stiffly upright watching her with a sort of passive immovable intentness as she now appeared before him her loveliness was absolutely and ideally perfect she looked the embodiment of all grace the model of all chastity she stood quite still her hands folded on her breast her head slightly lifted 
her dark eyes upturned her unbound black hair streamed over her shoulders in loose glossy waves and above her brows her diadem of serpent's head sparkled like a coronal of flame her robe was white made of some silky shining stuff that glistened with soft pearly hues it was gathered about her waist by a twisted golden girdle her arms were bare decked as before with the small jewelled snakes that coiled upward from wrist to shoulder and when after a brief pause she unfolded her hands and raised them with a slow majestic movement above her head the great symbolic eye flared from her bosom like a darting coal seeming to turn sinister glances on all sides as though on the search for some suspected foe fortunately no one appeared to notice theosa's deliberate non-observance of the homage due to her no one except lycia herself she met the open defiant scorn and reluctant admiration of his glance and a cold smile dawned on her features a smile more dreadful in its very sweetness than any frown then turning away her beautiful fathomless slumbrous eyes and still keeping her arms raised she lifted up her voice a voice mellow as a golden flute that pierced the silence with this great air of pure sound enchanted give glory to the sun o ye people for his light doth illumine your darkness and the murmur of the mighty crowd surged back in answer we give him glory here came a brief clash of brazen bells and when the clamour ceased lycia continued give glory to the moon o ye people for she is the servant of the sun and the ruler of the house of sleep again the people responded we give her glory and again the bells jangled tempestuously give glory to nagaya o ye people for he alone can turn aside the wrath of the immortals we give him glory rejoined the multitude and we give him glory seemed to be shouted high among the arches of the temple with a strange sound as of the mocking laughter of devils this preliminary over there came out of unseen doors on both sides of the sanctuary twenty priests in companies of ten each ten advancing from the left ten from the right these were clad in flowing garments of carnation-coloured silk heavily bordered with gold and the leader of the right-hand group was the priest zell his demeanour was austere and dignified he carried a square cushion covered in black on which lay a long thin cruel-looking knife with a jewelled hilt the chief of the priests who stood on the left bore a very tall and massive staff of polished ebony which he solemnly presented to the high priestess who grasped it firmly in one slight hand and allowed it to rest steadily on the ground while its uppermost point reached far above her head then followed the strangest weirdest scene that even the pen of poets or brush of painter devised a march round and round the temple of all the priests bearing lighted flambeau and singing in chorus a wild litany a confused medley of supplications to the sun and nagaya which accompanied as it was by the discordant beating drums and the clanging of bells had an evidently powerful effect on the minds of the assembled populace for presently they also joined in the maddening chant and growing more and more possessed by the contagious fever of fanaticism began to howl and shriek and clap their hands furiously creating a frightful din suggestive of some fiendish clamour in hell theos half deafened by the horrible uproar as well as roused to an abnormal pitch of restless excitement looked round to see how salomo comported himself he was sitting quite still in a perfectly composed attitude a faint derisive smile played on his lips his profile as it just then appeared had the firmness and the pure soft outline of a delicately finished cameo his splendid eyes now darkened now lightened with passion as he gazed at lycia who all alone in the centre of the shrine held her ebony staff as perpendicularly erect as though it were a tree rooted fathoms deep in earth keeping herself too as motionless as a figure of frozen snow 
and the king what of him glancing at that bronze-like brooding countenance theos was startled and at the same time half fascinated by its expression such a mixture of tigerish tenderness servile idolatry intemperate desire and craven fear he had never seen delineated on the face of any human being in the black thirsty eyes there was a look that spoke volumes a look that betrayed what the heart concealed and reading that featured emblazonment of hidden guilt theos knew beyond all doubt that the rumours concerning the high priestess and the king were true that the dead coast rule had spoken rightly that zephyronum loved lycia love it seemed to tame a word for the pent-up fury of passion that visibly and violently consumed the man what would be the result when the high priestess is the king's mistress then fall alciris these foolish doggerel lines why did they suggest themselves they meant nothing the question did not concern alciris at all let the city stand or fall as it list who cared so long as saluma escaped injury such at least was the tenor of theos's thoughts as he rapidly began to calculate certain contingencies that now seemed likely to occur if for instance the king were made aware of saluma's intrigue with lycia would not his rage and jealousy exceed all bounds and if on the other hand saluma were convinced of the king's passion for the same fatally fair traitress would not his wrath and injured self-love overbear all loyalty and prudence and between the two powerful rivals who thus by stealth enjoyed her capricious favours what would lycia's own decision be like a loud hissing in his ears he heard again the murderous command a command which was half a menace kill saluma faint shudders as of icy cold ran through him he nerved himself to meet some deadly evil though he could not guess what that evil might be he was willing to throw away all the past that haunted him and cut off all hope of a future provided he could only baffle the snares of the pitiless beauty to whom the torture of men was an evident joy and rescue his beloved and gifted friend from her perilous attraction making a strong effort to master the inward conflict of fear and pain that tormented him he turned his attention anew to the gorgeous ceremony that was going on the march of the priests had come to an abrupt end they stood now on each side of the shrine divided in groups of equal numbers tossing their flambeaux around and above them to the measured ringing of bells at every upward wave of these flaring torches a tongue of fire leaped aloft to instantly break and descend in a sparkling shower of gold the effect of this was wonderful in the extreme as by the dexterous way in which the flames were flung forth it appeared to the spectator's eyes as though a luminous snake were twisting and coiling itself to and fro in mid-air all loud music ceased the multitude calmed down by degrees and left off their delirious cries of frenzy or rapture there was nothing heard but a monotonous chanting in undertone of which not a syllable was distinctly intelligible then from out a dark portal unperceived in the shadow gloom of a curtained niche there advanced a procession of young girls fifty in all clad in pure white and closely veiled they carried small citherns and arriving in front of the shrine they knelt down in a semicircle and very gently began to strike the short responsive strings the murmur of a lazy rivulet among whispering reeds the sighing suggestions of leaves ready to fall in autumn the low languid trilling of nightingales just learning to sing any or all these might be said to resemble the dulcet melody they played while every delicate arpeggio every rippling chord was muffled with a soft pressure of their hands ere the sound had time to become vehement this elf-like harping continued for a short interval during which the priests gathering in a ring round a huge bronzed front-shaped vessel hard by dipped their flambeaux therein and suddenly extinguished them at the same moment the lights in the body of the temple were all lowered only the arch spanning the shrine blazed in undiminished 
brilliancy its green tint appearing more intense in contrast with the surrounding deepening shadow and now with a harsh clanging noise as of the turning of heavy bolts and keys the back of the sanctuary parted asunder in the fashion of a revolving double doorway and a golden grating was disclosed its strong glistening bars welded together like knotted ropes and wrought with marvellous finish and solidity turning toward this semblance of a prison cell lycia spoke aloud her clear tones floating with mellifluous slowness above the half harsh quiverings of the scythian choir come forth o nagai thou who didst slumber in the bosom of space ere ever the world was made come forth o nagaya thou who didst behold the sun born out of chaos and the earth enriched with ever-producing life come forth o nagaya friend of the gods and the people and comfort us with the divine silence of thy wisdom supernal while she pronounced these words the golden grating ascended gradually inch by inch with the steady clank as of the upward winding of a chain and when she ceased there came a mysterious rustling slippery sound suggestive of some creeping thing forcing its way through wet and tangled grass or over dead leaves one instant more and a huge serpent a species of python some ten feet in length glided through the round aperture made by the lifted bars and writhed itself slowly along the marble pavement straight to where lycia stood once it stopped curving back its glistening body in a strange loop as though in readiness to spring but it soon resumed its course and arrived at the high priestess's feet there its whole frame trembled and glowed with extraordinary radiance the prevailing colour of its skin was creamy white marked with countless rings and scaly bright spots of silver purple and a peculiar livid blue and all these tints came into brilliant prominence as it crouched before lycia and twisted its sinuous neck to and fro with an evidently fawning and supplicatory gesture while she keeping her sombre dark eyes fixed full upon it moved not an inch from her position but majestically serene continued to hold the tall staff of ebony straight and erect as a growing palm the cithern playing had now the soothing softness of a mother's lullaby to a tired child and as the liquid notes quavered delicately on the otherwise deep stillness the formidable reptile began to coil itself ascendingly round and around the ebony rod higher and higher one glistening ring after another higher still till its eyes were on a level with the eye of raphon that flamed on lycia's breast there it paused in apparent reflectiveness and seemed to listen to the slumberous strains that floated toward it in wind-like breaths of sound then starting afresh on its upward way it carefully and with almost human tenderness avoided touching lycia's hand which now rested on the staff between two thick twists of its body and finally it reached the top where fully raising its crested head it displayed the prismatic tints of its soft restless wavy throat which was adorned furthermore by a flexible circlet of magnificent diamonds nothing more striking or more singular could theos imagine than the scene now before him the beautiful woman still as sculptured marble and the palpitating snake coiled on that mass-like rod and uplifted above her while round the twain knelt the priests their faces covered in their robes and from all parts of the temple the loud shout arose all hail nagaya praise honour and glory be unto thee for ever and ever then it was that the proud king flung himself to earth and kissed the dust in abject submission then saluma carelessly complacent bent the knee and smiled to himself mockingly as he performed the act of veneration then the enormous multitude with clasped hands and beseeching looks fell down and worshipped the glittering beast of the field whose shining emerald-like curiously sad eyes roved hither and thither with a darting yet melancholy eagerness over all the people who called it lord to theos's imagination it looked 
a creature more sorrowful than fierce a poor charmed brute that while netted in the drowsy woofs of its mistress lycia's magnetic spell seemed as though it dimly wondered why it should thus be raised aloft for the adoration of infatuated humankind its brilliant crest quivered and emitted little arrowy scintillations of lustre the god was ill at ease in the midst of all his splendour and two or three times bent back his gleaming neck as though desirous of descending to the level ground but when these hints of rebellion declared themselves in the tremors running through the scaly twists of his body lycia looked up and at once compelled as it were by involuntary attraction nagaya the divine looked down the strange subtle mesmeric sleepy eyes of the woman met the glittering green mournful eyes of the snake and thus the two beautiful creatures regarded each other steadfastly and with an apparent vague sympathy till the deity evidently overcome by a stronger will than his own and resigning himself to the inevitable twisted his radiant head back again to the top of the ebony staff and again surveyed the kneeling crowds of worshippers presently his glistening jaws opened his tongue darted forth vibratingly and he gave vent to a low hissing sound erecting and depressing his crest with extraordinary rapidity so that it flashed like an aigrette of rare gems then with slow and solemn step the priest zell advanced to the front of the shrine and spreading out his hands in the manner of one pronouncing a benediction said loudly and with emphasis nagaya the divine doth hear the prayers of his people nagaya the supreme doth accept the offered sacrifice bring forth the victim the last words were spoken with stern authoritativeness and scarcely had they been uttered when the great entrance doors of the temple flew open and a procession of children appeared strewing flowers and singing o happy bride we bring thee unto joy and peace to thee are opened the palaces of the air the beautiful silent palaces where the bright stars dwell o happy bride of nagaya how fair a fate is thine pausing they flung wreaths and garlands among the people and continued o happy bride for thee are past all sorrows and sin thou shalt never know shame or pain or grief or the weariness of tears for thee no husband shall prove false no children prove ungrateful o happy bride of nagaya how glad a fate is thine o happy bride when thou art wedded to the beautiful god the god of rest thou shalt forget all trouble and dwell among sweet dreams for ever thou art the blessed one chosen for the love embraces of nagaya o happy bride how glorious a fate is thine thus they sang in the soft strange vow language of alcirus and tripped along with that innocent unthinking gaiety usual to such young creatures up to the centre isle toward the sanctuary they were followed by four priests in scarlet robes and closely masked and walking steadfastly between these came a slim girl clad in white veiled from head to foot and crowned with a wreath of lotus lilies all the congregation as though moved by an impulse turned to look at her as she passed but her features were not as yet discernible through the mist-like draperies that enfolded her the singing children always preceding her and scattering flowers having arrived at the steps of the shrine grouped themselves on either side and the red-garmented priest after having made several genuflections to the glittering python that now with reared neck and quivering fangs seemed to watch everything that was going on with absorbed and crafty vigilance proceeded to unveil the maiden martyr and also to tie her slight hands behind her back by means of a knotted silver cord then in a firm voice the priest zell proclaimed behold the elected bride of the sun and the divine nagaya she bears away from the city the burden of your sins o ye people and by her death the gods are satisfied rejoice greatly for ye are absolved and by the silver veil and the eye of raphon we pronounce upon all here present the blessing of pardon and peace 
as he spoke the girl turned round as though in obedience to some mechanical impulse and fully confronted the multitude her pale pure face framed in a shining aureole of rippling fair hair floated before theosa's bewildered eyes like a vision seen indistinctly in a magic crystal and he was for a moment uncertain of her identity but quick as a flash saluma's glance lighted upon her and with a cry of horror that sent desolate echoes through and through the arches of the temple he started from his seat his arms outstretched his whole frame convulsed and quivering nephrata nephrata and his rich voice shook with a passion of appeal o ye gods what mad blind murderous cruelty suffer on him and he turned impetuously on the astonished monarch as thou livest crowned king i say this maid is mine and in the very presence of nagaya i swear she shall not die End of chapter 27